0: how do you pray? How do you pray? How do you? How do you pray? We all do it differently. We, we pray for different reasons under different circumstances. And believe it or not, even among Episcopalians, we pray using different words. I've read a lot of books in my life. I was an English major, so that accounts for a whole library right there. And in divinity school, I read big, long, dusty tomes. I've read books on how to fix things, anything from the front door to my life. More recently, there have been books in my life on infant nutrition, potty training. When I can't figure something out, when I need more information, when I'm learning a new skill, I hit the shelves. I read. And I've read some good books about prayer how to practice it, different types for different situations, how to teach people to pray. I've read books that are said to inspire prayer. The Bible, in fact, teaches us a lot about how to pray. Like all of those instructional books, we get all kinds of instruction on how and when and what we're supposed to say. There is even a passage, my favorite Bible passage, after all, on what to say when we don't know what to say. In Romans 8, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit of God intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. There are all kinds of places to look for for models for prayer, outside our own tradition even. I continue to find myself deeply impressed by the Muslim tradition of praying five times a day. That sort of discipline feels foreign and unattainable to me. And then there's children. Have you ever prayed with a child? Or have you ever just listened to a little kid pray? I highly recommend it. If you ever get the chance, listen in, pray alongside. There is, of course, the uh, sheer entertainment value because, as we know, kids say the darndest things. But like in so many other matters of great importance, you can learn a lot by listening to a child pray. Indulge me for a moment. I went back in my sermon files and noticed that I haven't mentioned my children in a sermon in four or five months. So here we go. Lucky you. Kevin and I take turns putting our four-year-old son to bed. The bedtime routine is very consistent, very predictable every night, and it always includes a prayer. What is not consistent or predictable is what Eli is going to choose to pray about on that night. It's all over the map. And a few months ago, I wrote this one down. Hi, God. Thank you for the rocks. And thank you for the trees and their roots. And thank you for the dirt and water, and the sky. And thank you for that little bug that we saw that looks like a grasshopper but probably isn't. And thank you for handlebars on bicycles, and the fan on the ceiling, and blue, and the front porch, and chips, and thank you for mommy, and handlebars. Oh, wait, I already said handlebars. Amen. Oh, and thank you for buttons. I love buttons. Amen again. Admittedly, this is a little more esoteric than some of his more regular normal ones, but this is indeed how he prays. Totally uncensored. He's totally wiped out the shoulds and coulds and oughts, and he prays for his world, for everything he sees and everything that's in it. There's plenty of information out there in the Bible and elsewhere to tell us how and why and when to pray. The truth is, we have no excuse for not praying every day, every hour even. We can pray in our words and in our movements, in our actions, and pray in our inactions. In this morning's reading from 1 Timothy, Paul is giving us further guidelines in Pauline fashion. This time, we are being instructed on who we should pray for. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, he says, should be made for everyone. He specifically mentions kings and people in power, but he's talking about everyone. Everyone. Think about that. What does that mean? If we are to pray for everyone, we should pray for our friends, our family, those who love us, those we love. We should pray for people we've never met. But we should also pray for those we can't or won't love. People who fly airplanes into skyscrapers. People who hurt children. People who drive drunk. Politicians we don't agree with. Religious fanatics who preach hate, we have to pray for them, too. And Paul doesn't mention this part. Praying for our enemies doesn't necessarily mean praying for their conversion to our ways. Dear God, please let them think how I think. We're called instead to pray that God be revealed to them in whatever way God chooses such God, says Paul, desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And when we pray in this way, when we pray for our enemies, for those with whom we disagree, for those that it is so easy to hate, when we pray that they too might be in right relationship with God, what happens then? Are our enemies changed? Maybe. More likely, we are changed. We may come to love those who challenge us, those we think we hate. My friends, Christ's saving work happens all over the world in many forms, in ways that we could never imagine. The power of God to change hearts and minds is limited only by our own ability to extend our hearts to those who don't on the outside seem to deserve it it's not us up to us remember to determine desert just to open our hearts in prayer to encompass the world with it we don't have to agree but we do have to pray pray for forgiveness in our own hearts for understanding among god's beloved and for love to conquer all Amen.